Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Hey, People of Purpose. I'm Brian Falchuk, and I am really lucky because not only did I get to be a guest on the show, I got to have Tanner on my show and get to know him a lot better. And it was at a time where I benefited so much from that. He has this amazing style, this amazing sense and calmness and perspective that helped me open up and helped me grow. And I've gotten so much more of that as I've listened to other episodes. So I'm really excited to see the two-year anniversary of the show. Congratulations to Tanner on that. And I hope that you're all taking in as much value from it as I am, as much growth as I've taken in. So Tanner, congratulations. And I hope you all feel as lucky as I do that the show exists and continues to thrive. Thanks so much, everybody. Hi, my name is Mimi Emanuel. I live in Queensland, Australia. A little while ago, Tanner found me on the World Wide Web, and we did a podcast together. This was a game changer for me. Tanner is one of a kind, as is his show, People of Purpose. His presentations will leave you breathless and speechless. This man is a genius. For a regular dose of joy, inspiration, and laughter in your life, I'm here to tell you that there is no better way to start your day than with a daily dose of People of Purpose podcast. So Tanner and I go way back, probably 10 years when he was a senior in high school. I had the blessing of having him as a high school senior in one of my art classes. And, you know, we instantly had a connection and, and that's turned into a lifelong friendship. And I'm always so thankful for my time with Tanner, whether it be a text message, a phone call, you know, getting together in person. I always leave those times, you know, feeling like I'm a better person, you know, and it's been so fun to see him, you know, develop people of purpose. It's something that for me personally has encouraged and challenged me to be a better person the stories of others and I think ultimately it gives me an opportunity to you know walk in somebody else's shoes and see the world through a different lens and you know oftentimes that lens is a better lens than I currently function with so you know for all those things I'm just very thankful and appreciative and I will always be thankful for my connection to Tanner. Hi my name is Hannah Busby and I know Tanner from McAllister College where we went to undergrad together. And I feel really inspired by the People of Purpose podcast because it really opens my ears to perspectives that I don't think I would seek out on my own. Um, And it's really helped me realize that purpose can look and feel so many different ways. You know, I used to feel pretty stressed out by needing to have the big picture figured out, but Pop has challenged me to find purpose in the smaller details of life that I don't, I think I may have missed before. Um, You know, my identity as a social worker, which is my profession, is a big part of my story, but Pop has really helped me explore my purpose through the connections with people and things that I love. And I also love getting the newsletters too. It's a really fun way to stay connected to Tanner and wherever he may be in the world. So yeah, proud of you, Tanner. You're awesome. I'm Greg Yates from Breakthrough Leadership and the No Head Trash Nation. I work with leaders to establish a practice zone environment where they can become their best and where they can help 
their team and their people become who they were created to be. I want to tell you what it's been like working with Tanner Badgley and the people of Purpose. You know what it's like when you get a chance to talk with someone who immediately helps you mature your own thoughts, who immediately you know is in your tribe. That's what it's like working with people of purpose. Because when you're able to resonate with a community that makes you better, when you're able to identify thought processes that are consistent with others, well, it helps you know that you're on the right track. Listen, there's a lot of resistance out there. You're gonna face a headwind. It's important for you to align yourself with people who are going where you're going, believe what you believe and are helping you become who you were created to be. That's what it's like working with people of purpose, participating in this community and plugging in to the lives of others who are on the journey that we're on together. I hope you'll join People of Purpose. I hope you'll follow and contribute in every way possible. You're not gonna regret it. It's been fantastic for me. Hello, Nikita. Thank you for coming on to People of Purpose today to interview me for this podcast. I'm excited and nervous about talking about where we're at in the podcasting journey, where I'm at in my life. A lot of big changes have happened this year. I asked you to come on because I think you understand a lot of what I'm doing in my life and you have been super curious asking some of the best questions I've been asked in the last 12 months about my life and I just really like talking to you so this is going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I feel the same way, Tanner. I feel the same way. It's been a joy to rediscover you in your new phase of life because I feel like a bit of our history I feel like is in place because it might be different from how you remember it but this is how I remember how I met you first I was a first year at uh, McAllister in Minneapolis I just came from Russia and I was just moving into Turk or uh, like our dormitorium for first years and there was this really energetic guy Ben Tittle who was like recruiting everyone for ultimate frisbee and he said, yeah, you guys, we don't have enough people. We just don't have enough people. Everyone should come. And then my friend and I showed up and then there was like 40 people trying out. I don't know what he was talking about saying that there was enough people. There was too many people to try out for Frisbee. Too many people. So the introductions took for a while and like, I'm very nervous. I'm looking around, pretend to be like really cool. Like I know what's going on. It's fine. And then it's everyone introducing themselves and then it's, like a guy with a lion's mane of a hair says that he's a captain and his name is Tanner. I don't remember what else we did, but he is this ever smiling, super positive guy who's a captain of the team. I'm like cracking jokes, making funny introductions. And that's how I first met you. And then like for a while, the first year, I just remember you, I was very intimidated by all the seniors And you were always like, yeah, you should go to like all the tournaments. It's going to be fun. I don't think I went to like one, I think at the very end. And I'm like, I should have gone to all of them. But I was feeling that I was underprepared always. Do you remember that? Me saying that I was always underprepared? I remember like you and I would be at the Frisbee parties at like 1 or 2 a.m. talking about how you don't feel ready. And I'm like, I know you would be super ready and you would love it. You just needed to like take that final step and go to those. So yeah, I remember like constantly talking about that with you. Dude, that's like one trait from being 
in uh, like first year is just me feeling that I'm not good enough. And then I feel like that's such a, not a fear, but such a negative mindset that I've had for a while. And now with just some of the stuff that I've been doing recently, I've started to notice it over the years at McAllister. That's why the experience that I've had was so valuable to me. But that was one of them. It's like, if only I had just put myself out there and not cared what other people would think. Because I always felt like there are people who are way better than me. I feel like I'm not bringing enough to the team and all that. All it takes is just trying and trying hard and putting yourself out there. Yeah, it's courage. It is courage. I saw that you have so much potential and you have so much social charisma and you're super athletic. Yeah. And the best way to learn is to jump in and go for it, experience it. Yeah. So I'm happy you finally did it. Uh, I didn't get to play with you a lot, but uh, I got to watch you grow up after I had graduated and that was great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you did. You graduated. It was such a shame that you, I mean, obviously it makes sense that you were a senior and graduated. We only had one year. It was really fun just being around you. And I don't know if you had that feeling about seniors when you were first year, but it was this level of like, those guys seem to know what they're doing. And now being in the shoes of a senior back way back when, almost three years ago, <laughs> I, I understand like you're just, at least to me, you just have almost the same questions. You're, to me, I just like, you just got to figure it out and you just have more tools available, you're disposable, you still have the same questions. Mm -hmm. But it's funny. But yeah, so you graduated, and then after you left, the memory of the infamous Tanner still roamed within the team, but the man was gone, you know? And then you, like, popped in and out from the team. Like, in and out, you just, like, visited us. You said, like, how much you missed the team, and we said we missed you. And then I really didn't hear much of you like i've heard through grapevine that you've been like traveling a lot but it wasn't until like 2018 summer when you visited us i was living with ben tittle again mm -hmm. and you came to visit us remember yeah i do yeah what really struck me like obviously like i knew you but like we didn't know each other that well like that i don't know at least i the way how i felt it like we didn't know each other like personally you know Mm -hmm. We were close, but we didn't know each other's like goals and aspirations. And we had some talks in the saunas. That's about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. But I still remember this. You came this night with Bentil, who drove with who drove you from the airport. And then you, Zach and I and Ben talked for like four hours upstairs, sitting on sofas. And we talked about your adventures in Asia and happiness and wholeness and breathing and politics and exercising and maintaining friendships. And there's just like, it started as like a simple question, I feel like, and then it just spiraled into this conversation. And we ended up the night with, oh yeah, we gotta go, but let's wake up and have like a morning group meditation. I don't know if you remember these things, but I just like remember, because it was, I feel like, I don't think I was, noting everything down in my journal not sure if i started my journal oh maybe i did yeah and i noted because i either meant made a mental note because my journal is not with me right now or i actually wrote it down that it was really fun and eye-opening to have this unconstrained conversation with all four of us there was like no barriers and we could just 
say very intimate stuff that we didn't share with many people. And I personally wasn't afraid to share with any of you. Yeah, it was really special, man. Like I remember we created a really special energy where it felt like I was really able to reflect like really raw and authentically. And uh, you guys have a way of pressing me to like, think a little bit more deeply about what I'm saying and clarify my expression a little bit more. And it's just really infectious to be with people that are so eager to learn. And like, I'm just listening to the books you guys are reading at that time and the thoughts that you have going on around your life. And it was just so similar to where I had been right before I took the leap and like went to Asia by myself. I guess I started to open up a lot to you guys there and I'm really happy that I did. Like, it's hard to go into that. It's a lot of memories to unpack and energy to bring forward. But, and we stayed up super late, but it was super worth it. Like, we got to really know each other in a much more meaningful way. And I have a lot of respect for you and, and those boys now. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Same to you. In that moment, I remember I just like thought that I really wanted to talk. And exactly, that's exactly right what you said. I wanted to press not to, well, to be completely honest, I wanted to press to find out if you actually mean what you're saying or if, because the words sounded really good. And then, but something told me that it wasn't just words and it wasn't just a facade that you actually lived through some of the things that you were talking about. But again, we couldn't cover your, all the entire history of like what you went through and what your attitude is so that's part of the reason why i'm really excited to have this conversation with you is to delve deep into some of those questions and not necessarily to press i don't because it's like sounds hostile <laughs> but to get the inside of how you got to where you are and what your inside attitude is towards those experiences and the direction in life that you've taken. Awesome. Let's go for um, it. Yeah. So I guess like I know I've researched your history, let's call it like a meaningful events, but I think it would be, and I'm sure like people who would be listening to this would mostly be aware of those, but maybe Maybe let's quickly run through them so that everyone is on the same page. All right. So I know it started with you, correct me if I'm wrong, but it started with you having a like, um, life-threatening accident, right? Yeah, I feel like my new chapter of my life really started when I was 19 and I fell down the mountain at Yosemite National Park. Nearly died, I should have died. I was with my family, my brother and my dad. I was just becoming an adult at that point and it really put a lot of things into perspective and changed a lot of the course of my life for sure. I got a lot more into my faith, my belief in God, my trust in God. I got a lot more into health, wellness, Eastern philosophies and Eastern medicines. I started to read a lot about personal growth related things. I developed a yoga practice beginnings of meditation, took journaling a lot more seriously. I just had a lot more gratitude for the everyday things. And that was 
pretty powerful to go through at that age. So I would say that that was the beginning of like my conscious walk into purpose. And then slowly just started to evolve from there until there was some more events. I started to say yes to more immersive, maybe scarier experiences for most people. Maybe I felt fear, but I didn't really have a reaction to it. I would just walk into fear just fine. I mean, I had lost everything or should have lost everything. And so when new opportunities or relationships got presented to me, I would just say yes to them if they sounded aligned with something I was intentionally trying to grow in. And that led me to go to Morocco for a study abroad. I lived with a Muslim host family. They didn't speak any English, so I had to really press into my French, which was pretty weak after only three semesters in college of taking that. We had an independent study period where I moved to the south and lived at the beach with my best friend for four weeks. And then a bunch of people joined us. They never left once they arrived because it was such a special environment. And then we went to the desert for a week and rode camels and had some very like vulnerable moments there where we have no language in common with the guide. He doesn't speak Arabic or French or English. And we're out completely alone in the desert. Everything looks the same in every direction. Things like that I thought were really powerful. So that was the beginning of the purpose journey for you, right? I would say so, yeah. Like I definitely changed in my perspective on college. A lot of people seem like we're in college because that was the default thing to do. That was the expectation after you finished. That's why I went to college. When I was in college, I was meeting all these gap year people that actually had real reasons why they wanted to go to college. And they had done these amazing things on their gap year. And I actually found my roommate. Yeah, I'm pretty jealous of them now. I'm pretty jealous of them now. Like going into college with a gap year, if you take it really seriously, it's so it gives you like an intention. Exactly. Yeah. My roommate, Drew Mintz, for sophomore, junior, and senior year, had done a really intentional gap year where he hiked the Appalachian Trail from Maine to Georgia for five and a half months with his best friends. And he went to Morocco and taught English by himself for three months. And I just didn't know any other 18-year-olds that were doing stuff like that. Yeah. I felt like I came from a much more safer, confined, secure background. And it was just so rewarding to even go out of state for college. So I wanted to really take things into my own hands with that immersive cultural experiences where I could just have, see everything in a new way and question all my original assumptions and learn some self-reliance and just be engaged and alive with curiosity and learning. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of led me to Morocco. And right before that was my first ever trip where I went backpacking by myself through Central America for a month. And then eventually I made it to Thailand a year after I graduated. There was a girl that got in the way of me going right away. Mm -hmm. But even having that was really special. Like, I don't think I would have been able to press into a relationship so much had I not really known myself or known kind of what I was after. And then it got really, really serious to where I actually kind of lost some of those things because I saw us as like a single unit rather than two separate people. And so when she left me, it became hard to find what I wanted again. And that put me in like kind of a, another round of needing to start over in a sense. Um, and once again, needing to start over came with another head injury. Yeah, I got a, another brain injury six months after finishing college. 
I was not in a good mental health place around that time. It was winter time in Minneapolis. My grandma had just died. I had moved in with a roommate I didn't know from Craigslist, mm-hmm. who turned out to be great. And my girlfriend had broken up with me after a two and a half year relationship. So I was pretty lost. And I was working a job where I was cold calling all the time and yeah. it was really confining. So I got a two month doctor note to live in the dark room in my apartment and wear sunglasses everywhere outside and just have no responsibilities anymore. Mm-hmm. And I learned meditation and I dug like real deep into my heart and my soul and I realized I needed to go back to who I was when I was in Morocco. That took me to Thailand and I got to really dig into my healing in Thailand with a lot of the body work I needed. I had time finally. I started writing a blog with like really long entries. It's basically like a 500 page book right now sitting on the internet. And I just developed relationships with all sorts of people that really inspired me. So I grew so much and learned so much. I read all these books that I wanted to read. I learned what podcasts were that year of 2015. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I ever listened to a podcast. I got to teach 400 students, fifth and sixth graders. I got to speak a new language every day, live in a new culture, spend a lot of time in my hammock. It was just beautiful lifestyle. And then on my summer break, I had two months off and I got to hike to Mount Everest on a two-day notice. It was so spontaneous. <laughs> Uh, which was awesome. Got to play in some big frisbee tournaments there where I actually got to meet my fiance, which was incredible to get to do that. A week long of scuba diving. I did two different uh, long-term meditation courses, one five-day silent meditation retreat, one 10-day. And I can't let go of Thailand right now. I love who I am here. And then I... I guess developed a desire to go back to school. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Got a master's degree last year in San Francisco. And I would say for self-growth, the biggest event was not actually the master's degree. It was more of just being alone again in a really difficult environment where I learned patience. I was trying to get my Thai girlfriend to visit me and my family in in my country, in the U.S., and we failed twice on the tourist visa. We were on our second round of long-distance relationship with an indefinite return date. It really caused me to have to dig deep and really ask myself, is it worth all of this to have her? Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was a dark time for two or three weeks. Um, A lot of people were giving me the advice that it's time to give up and move on build your life here in the U.S. and get a new relationship. And I could tell it wasn't the right thing to do. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you were going through that. Yeah, not many people did. I was kind of going through it alone. That people were suggesting you not to do it, I guess. That's pretty tough. That's tough. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know people in San Francisco, and I never really got to know them. I just got right there and was started 70 hours a week. Like I did a one-year master's program on top of teaching full-time in an understaffed charter school. I was bicycling everywhere. I was keeping up the podcast. I had no friends. So the people I would mention my situation to there just knew me at more of a surface level. And they would just be like, well, I don't know you very well, but as like an unbiased opinion, it sounds like you're juggling a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know you, but here's my opinion. Yeah. So I would say I really grew in... My ability to make a deep commitment to myself and to someone else and then be responsible enough to like hold that commitment 
I learned a lot of personal integrity. And now, I mean, it even tested me at the end of my program. I got a job offer for being a yoga and meditation teacher for middle school students in the Bay Area. I was going to get paid $60,000. Most people thought that was a no-brainer to take that. But as I consulted some of the married couples that were my mentors, I needed to come back and see my girl and build the foundation of our relationship again for marriage. And so mm-hmm. I came over and proposed to her and then went back and finished my program. And then I just moved to Thailand last week. I'll be here for a little while. And the biggest news is that yesterday, October 24th, she got her fiance visa to the U.S. So congrats. Paying off. Yeah. Awesome. That is awesome. Thanks. Man. That is awesome, dude. That is awesome. Well, you've just, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. You unpack the entire history and there's so much to dive into. So I guess let's go back again. And the first thing I wanted to talk to you is injuries and suffering in general. Has your attitude towards suffering and like injuries in in general changed at all? Or before you had the accident and then like two years after and then five years after and like, how do you see it now? Dude, that's an awesome question. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely it has. I've wondered myself that a lot. So I'm really curious to hear what you think about it. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for letting me think about that. Yeah, I've thought about this before in sporadic moments of mostly deep meditation. So I took a 10-day Vipassana meditation course in Thailand about a year and a half ago. And a lot of what you learn about is suffering there. And it allowed me to really reflect on my attitude towards suffering. So much of the suffering in life is wrapped up in your aversions or clinging to that sensation. So I would say the biggest thing I've learned about suffering is that as long as you can sit in the feeling that you're feeling and find a level of contentment within that, you're going to be able to avoid a lot of suffering. A lot of suffering is made in your mind and you can always blame outside circumstances and injuries and ailments and all this stuff, which I do by the way. But I don't actually suffer inside from those things anymore because I've come to terms that that's the reality and I'm not pushing it away and I'm not clinging to something that is going to addict me to a pleasure sensation like a pill or a drug or something like that. So I really work to have no addictions and have nothing that I'm like aversive to. And if I can find that place of sitting in that discomfort, um, you start to find comfort because things are always changing and you can generally find something that feels okay or positive or have gratitude for what you still have. Or There's something if you can switch your mindset towards it. So I would say as I have a more regular meditation practice and more of a regular like faith and prayerful practice and exercise suffering doesn't really get to me anymore you see that's again a lot to unpack that's (laughs) from your story the way i took it is every time there was this hurt 
or something caused you to suffer, like falling from the Yosemite or getting the second concussion. It sounds like, at least from what you've been saying, like the fate or whatever has been diverging you from the path that you were thinking of going and kind of like guiding you towards self-reflection and self-healing and self-learning. Yeah. Would you say that suffering is in a way necessary to appreciate what we have? And would you think we should, because I feel like at least the people that I know and like the mindset that I'm also like thinking in and out, I jump in and out of, is that suffering is like something as avoid at all cost event. You know, like ideally life can just be pleasure. Do you think suffering is necessary in our day-to-day life? Yeah, I mean, for me, suffering is a catalyst for change. Yeah. It presents a certain perspective that allows you to kind of reevaluate everything that you've maybe been numb to. So you have your health, you have your fitness, and then you break your leg. You're going to start to notice all the ways in which you were dependent on that working. And when it's not working anymore, you're going to ask yourself, what is it I can do now? And what is it that would be best for me to do now to evolve and change into more of a content, fulfilled, happy, growing, all those sort of things we're all striving after. I think these kind of questions are at the root of purpose. Is like, I typically have an optimistic disposition about circumstances. Circumstances can be interpreted in so many ways. And I'm not saying my way of interpreting them is the only right way, but I try to choose the most hopeful, positive, potential-filled perspective to have. And then I start to ask myself, well, if this is meant to happen for me to head in towards this sort of ideal, what do I now need to do to make that happen? And that causes a lot of change in my life. But on the other token, I try to take into account the commitments I have made that did come from like a very deep place in me, the responsibilities I have towards others. I believe responsibility is a really important aspect of being a social being, of being a person of purpose, of being someone that's within a community. We don't live in isolation. We're not an island. We're not in our own bubble. Your actions and your disposition towards your circumstances are being seen and are influencing so many forces around you that I think we owe it to ourselves and to others to take a really hopeful, optimistic, positive stance towards these sort of circumstances. So if you're going to categorize it as suffering, which it probably is initially, there's a pain involved. I think you can't fall into the narrative of like, oh, everything is really bad to me. I'm a victim. That sort of thing is just a never ending cycle downward. Mm -hmm. And it's so tempting. Like, I mean, you can ask my fiance, like, or my brother or someone that knows me really well, they're going to say that I do that. That's typically my first thing. But as I become conscious that I'm doing that, I definitely try to cut that out because that is serving no purpose. I don't know. I think it's a plea for sympathy or for connection or something maybe is positive about complaining. But for the most part, 
you got to use it as a tool to propel you to something new, something better, something more pure. It can be refreshing to see things in a new way. So it's kind of cool in that sense. I'm really pretty grateful for the sufferings that I've endured. Yeah, couldn't agree more with you. Yeah, it's as you're saying it, one of the things that my mom has been always telling me that's like despair. I'm not sure if this is like a perfect translation into English, but despair is like one of the worst sins. Regardless of you're religious or not, it's so I feel like what's resonating with me is that this idea of you can't get out of this downwards spiral of like suffering hitting you and you can't take a step back and look at what's positive and see how it can ignite you to do greater things. And I feel like that's so valuable about your experience is that it's a very interesting story where the first two times, like the first time it happened, it ignited something, but maybe the routine got in the way and it required you the second suffering for you to be like, hey, you know what? It's time to understand and it maybe change the attitude to suffering or not even change, but even look more within yourself and see how, what positive can you take out of it? And then through this incredible journey that you've had, you've come up with so many tools to relook at it. So it's very interesting. Yeah. I wanted to quickly say like what you said there around how the life gets in the way and the routine starts to yeah. take over that happens and that can give you a false sense of what's important. But when you've had some of these experiences, like I've been, I guess, fortunate to have, you know, suffering experiences, those sort of realizations or promises that you've made to yourself in the aftermath kind of supersede those more superficially important things. And I think if someone doesn't actually have those deeply impactful, maybe quote unquote negative experiences, then they don't have that root to come back to. And then I think that's where you live a more complacent life. And complacency is not anywhere in my agenda with life. Yeah, that's right. I feel like we touched on it briefly. As you said, go to college, the safest, most straightforward way pain-free and like hopefully suffering-free, although not to say that people don't suffer or experience pain, but that's within the family. I feel like that's like, you know what, don't, it's like the most straightforward way, but I feel like you might be missing out on some of those deeply important moments in your life that can redirect you or question what life have you chosen so far and to question what's important in life. So yeah. Something that I also think about on a daily basis. One thing that you said that was interesting too is at the very beginning when I asked you the question about the suffering, you said it to sit in comfort and to be okay with the uncomfortable feeling of suffering. I feel like it's such an Eastern way of looking at life. And from my experience, it goes against the Western culture. You know, don't sit in something, but like get up and do something. You, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like this fast-paced life if like if you don't like something well like get up and do something about it do something go so we are slowly transitioning to like another big theme that i wanted to bring up with you is 
life back in the US and like West versus East and how you're able to combine those experiences that you've got from your travels in East to your life in West. Yeah, that's cool. It's an ongoing challenge. Definitely an ongoing challenge. Uh, I feel, like you said, like a lot more Eastern than most people I meet in the U.S. Even Asian Americans think that I'm pretty Eastern in my perspective on life. So I tend to, uh, yeah, find myself in the minority mindset a lot of times, even when I'm with my people, people that I really have a similar mindset to or that are after a similar thing, they're, they're reading the same books or listening to the same podcast as me, there's still that element of I typically move slower than them. I typically don't do so many things in reaction to an event or a circumstance. I kind of just like to see and perceive and feel and make a really intentional decision. So I think in the U.S., it can be hard for sure. I guess the advice I'd have is that I think the stimulation is just so much higher in the U.S. You're constantly energized to do things. It's like the yin-yang stuff is just all yang. The like active relaxation dynamic is much more towards activity. And I like that. I'm a pretty naturally high energy person. So in conversation, it's amazing. We get to pretty high places of intellect, of talking about deep spirituality. I think Western people have this really mind-intensive way of seeing the world. And I think in the East, it's more of a heart-intensive way of living in the world. I notice like my fiance is always focused on like how other people around us are doing or feeling or how something I'm doing is causing somebody to feel uncomfortable right now. We need to change what we're doing because of that. And I feel like in the West, it's much more of an individual way of like freedom-based thing. Like you can do anything you want. That freedom part is really big in me. So it's quite an interesting mix of dynamics because I'm definitely really Western as well. Yeah. What's your specific question around that? Like, in your last letter, you wrote that I'm returning to America centered and whole, synchronized with my soul. I'm grateful for the many influences that have rounded at my time in Asia. I finished my journey volunteering in the organic farm in Cambodia, getting yoga teacher certified in India and playing frisbee and backpacking in Vietnam. I feel like the life that you've built in the East, traveling to so many great places and getting yoga certified, which I, by the way, didn't know that you did that, but how, and now, like, I know what you're doing now and how, when you were in the U.S. and we, last time we spoke, how sometimes you seemed like you were on the go constantly. I feel like it's such a big shift between West and East and uh, something that, like, on the East, you, you there are some stuff that you can do that I feel like might not work. I Again, I don't know. But they might work. It seems like it takes an, a lot of more effort to do, like, for example, like meditation, like in the morning, making a routine out of waking up and meditating or this con- concept of sadhana, I think, which is daily disciplines 
but there's so much expectation. There's so much of this noise. There's so much expectation from other people that how do you still remain centered? Do you have a routine that keeps you grounded? Do you check back with yourself? And like maybe talking to yourself, work and thinking, but maybe there are some teachers that you continue to speak to. Like, how do you do it? Yeah, that's a good question. I remember really going through this struggle in the heart of my uh, master's of education program last year. I was writing massive papers, 50 page plus papers, while building out weeks of lesson plans from scratch because we weren't following a curriculum, being a social studies teacher, while managing 100 students who mostly are behind on their grade level of reading and writing, who have a lot of discipline and focus problems in the classroom, while having big time like supervisors watching me who determine whether or not I could stay in the program, while getting severely underpaid in the most expensive city in the world. And having a long distance relationship and having a podcast that I promised myself I would keep going. (laughs) It got really, really hard. And I think I learned that you have to collapse down to the most, the idea of productivity has to change. It has to become productive for you to feel extremely centered. That needs to be a goal or else you're going to get scattered. So for me, I would have, you have pockets of time in your day, no matter where you live. So you're eating lunch for 15 minutes. Try to pay attention to what you're chewing on. Try to pay attention to it nourishing your body. You're feeling the sunlight on your skin. Feel that and like allow yourself to feel that positive sensation. You woke up and you don't need to be out of bed for 20 more minutes do something about with that time before you just go to bed and like pass out because you are the end of your energy level. Try to consolidate your day and reflect on what you learned from it. Try to have a meaningful conversation where you talk about more than just work and productivity. Try to talk about how you're doing or how somebody else is doing. And for me, having a podcast is so refreshingly inspiring because I get to check in with people that are immersed in their purposeful activities and are not being thrown about as like us 20 some year old, you know, entrepreneur, graduate school, student combination people are doing. There's a lot of people in those shoes, I think, that are kind of starting side hustles, they call them, basically like small businesses while finishing up graduate school while holding on to relationships is super hard. I have these do you think people were meant to do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like no. having a relationship is a, it's joy if you're in a good one, if you feel good, right? It's joy, but it's also work. You can't just show up. You know what I mean? You have to be giving, receiving, and be mindful of another person, practice empathy, learning something. And then on top of that, you have a business to run. Yeah. And then another thing. That's that's the core of my what I'm leading up to is how do people manage to combine this all? And it has to be something with self-discipline, right? Well, the way I managed to combine it all is I distilled down each of the things I was doing into why I'm doing this. What is it that I am doing this for originally? 
what is it that I'm doing it for now? And what impact is this going to have on my development as a person and on those around me that are looking at how I'm leading my life? And when you look at it that way, it's not necessarily about being the top performer or the most productive or the one getting the highest marks. It's about a different metric of success that only you hold yourself to. And it's about what you're working on at the time. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from living out your purpose? I know a bad accident, breakups, and head injuries have plagued my path of purpose. The good news is that People of Purpose has now partnered with BetterHelp, an online counseling platform that will assess your needs from exactly where you are and match you with your very own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. I know that when we are purposefully and passionately pursuing our visions, it can be so hard to take the big action you need for yourself. That's why I love BetterHelp. BetterHelp is available worldwide from the comfort and ease of your smartphone. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, call or video chat as often as you need. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses without needing to be in one single city or drive and sit in an uncomfortable waiting room just to have a 30 minute conversation. These conversations have the power to literally change your life. We need to make sure we're having them. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. For me, the sign-up process was so thorough and personalized to exactly what I needed. Within 15 minutes, I was done, and the very next day, I was paired with a counselor with the pedigree to help me think through exactly the questions I have at this stage in my life. Since I've met my premarital Christian counselor, Colleen, I've had enormous insights on where and how to create better boundaries, and even had a session with my fiance while she's in Thailand and I'm in California. It's amazing how powerful and accessible counseling is today with the power of the internet. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Whether you need professional coaching for your business, help overcoming a trauma, or just need a thought partner who would walk through a rocky part of a road with you, BetterHelp wants to help you start living a happier life today. People of Purpose listeners get 10% off your first month. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose. That's betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. I got to a point where I knew I was good at school. I didn't need to overly impress everybody about my writing skills or whatever. Like I could leave a paper after the second round of edit and just be fine turning it in. It didn't need to be more than that because I knew that I had mastered that part sufficiently for my own self. But I needed to show up on People of Purpose and interview the founder of a meaningful organization because there's a lot of people watching their life. I owe it to them. They're giving their time to me. And I have a team that's helping me run the podcast and I have big visions with this. This is more important in my life than showing some supervisor in my master's program that I know how to read this theory that I'm never going to talk about again outside of this inner circle of PhD people. So if you're constantly 
running around trying to fulfill other people's priorities to get perfect marks and other people's standards, you're going to wear yourself thin. So back to what I said earlier, you have to really change your idea of what's productive and include things like your ability to be empathetic, your ability to be present, your ability to be healthy, your ability to practice self-care in the midst of all the chaos and, and deadlines. Those sort of things have to become wins for yourself. And that's how I got through that crazy year in San Francisco. Is I lived by what I knew from all of my collective experiences. You know, I knew from the Bible. I knew from meditation. I knew from my family. I knew from my most important relationships, what actually mattered. And that's what I went for. So I guess that's kind of an abstract way of explaining it. But it kind of became more about that. And that really helped me. So making space for those things. For everyone, it doesn't have to be meditation. It doesn't have to be journaling. It doesn't have to be cooking yourself quinoa. Those were some examples of what helped me. But you have to identify what's going to be productive for you and your development as a person and what your why is in each of the things. And you have to develop an ability to cut out some of those things that aren't really serving you anymore once you've identified that they're for other people and they're for the wrong way of serving other people. Because really, the way we can best serve other people is by being our truest self. This is like the core of people of purpose philosophy is that we're put on this earth for a specific purpose. We have specific gifts unique to us. And we need to unlock those gifts and unleash our purpose. And so staying focused on that essence of what I'm after in my life and what I think a lot of us are intuitively after is a way of coping or pushing through these periods of our life where we're extra busy. I guess the hard part is for people to start digging into who they are. As you know, or at least I mentioned, I've been digging into myself more. And I've gotten a lot of tempting negative feedback about it. Someone that is pretty close to me that I thought he wouldn't say those kind of words, but he said that it's pretty foolish looking for purpose within myself is foolish because you're just digging into yourself. Mm -hmm. And what I read between the lines, his actual question or his actual call to action was to look for something that you can monetize. And I think that's the core at least for me, and I don't want to generalize, but I feel like that's what a lot of young people who are listening to these great ideas of, hey, look for yourself, be more mindful, take time, slow down, sit with something is, how am I going to, and it's all part of it, you know, like, how am I going to impress other people? How am I going to make money? How am I going to make the living? How do you balance those things? Because Money is important, but at the same time, looking for yourself and understanding yourself is too. Yeah, I seek harmony in my life. And if my pursuit of money is out of alignment with my pursuit of purpose, then that pursuit of money is not the one I'm going to pursue. It's taken me a long time to figure out this conundrum. And it's actually an intersection I'm faced with right now with people of purpose itself 
is do I start to monetize this and make this more of a business or is this more of just a way of continually giving back and helping out people to look inside themselves and find their purpose? It's really tricky question. And it's actually been a big, big focus of my life recently. Money has been, I guess in your case, I would be asking myself, what would success feel like to me and look like to me? Why is it that I'm seeking the money? Is it a security thing? Like when I get to a certain level, I will have enough that I can breathe. Is it like that? More of a survival-based mindset? Or is it a, I'm seeking this money because I know that it's going to 10x my pursuit of purpose or it's going to 10x my impact I can make in this world or, you know, you kind of get what I'm saying, right? It's like, yeah. what direction in my head with this pursuit of money? And I think it's really important to ask yourself how you're going to change in the process because one rule of life is that we are always changing and evolving. Nothing ever stays the same and static. So if you're committed to that one single tunnel vision focus of how you're going to make the money and being disciplined towards that, that's great. That's awesome. And that's actually like, seems pretty necessary to become a millionaire. I just think that that is such an important decision in your life that you need to be really intentional about what that path is. Because we don't get another 10 years of our life back. And we don't get to do that sort of tunnel vision on very many things at the same time. It, you're going to find conflict with your spiritual walk, with your family, with your sense of travel and adventure, with your relationships. So it's way more important than just the pursuit of money. It's going to become a life-defining decision. So I've been approaching it by realizing first that I'm an entrepreneur. That was one of my first things I realized since moving to Asia the first time. I'm someone that wants to design my own way forward. And I started by being entrepreneurial about just my own life. What experiences do I want to put in front of myself? What relationships do I want to dig into? How do I want to spend my time? And I got very rich with time. I figured out how to have an abundance of time and to align my use of time in a way that I could focus on about anything I wanted to focus on. And money was hardly an issue in Thailand where the average person makes like 200 to $300 per month. I was making four times that and I was working like 10 to 15 hours a week. And then the second round, I was just working about five hours a week and I was working online tutoring Chinese students for 20 bucks an hour in an economy where most people are making two to three dollars an hour. So I figured out how to master that combination in Thailand. And I think that's a really important experience for people to go through is understanding you have to understand what that end goal is that you're after. If you're going to follow that single line tunnel vision about making money, you need to know when you've achieved success. What is your criteria or definition of success on the end goal? And Tim Ferriss is all about this sort of notion is why do you want to retire? What is your retirement plan? A lot of people have these false notions that they want to just like work, 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 dedicate everything to working. And then when they're like a certain age, 
they're going to retire and live on a beach and do no work anymore. Most people don't operate like that. Most people like to do work. They just need to do the right kind of work. And Tim Ferriss talks about how you need to go on those like immersive vacations into what retirement looks like for yourself. And so I would do that. I would say, oh, I want to like scale big mountains. Oh, I want to go learn a deep thing about how like Indian yoga culture is. I want to learn about Thai massage therapy. I want to read the 800 page autobiography of Steve Jobs. And I did those things. And so I started to realize like what it is I'm after with making a lot of money. And it was relationships and learning and impacting people in a way where I was like teaching and mentoring and kind of imparting wisdom in the world in my own way. So my pursuit of money has to be inclusive of those ideals. So if my pursuit of money is going to be something not entrepreneurial, it's probably not going to have the sense of freedom that I need. It's not going to encompass the whole scope of my value system. So my pursuit of money started with me shifting my mindset to entrepreneurial endeavors. And then once I was in that mindset, I started to look around about who's happy and who's fulfilled in entrepreneurship. And I found a lot of people in this space that people of purpose is in. Um, people that are like a Tim Ferriss or like a Jay Shetty, who's been really inspiring me a lot recently, that have a podcast, that write books, that get to go meet some of the most influential leaders around the world, that get to go do really immersive, like well-being and health-related sort of things, that get to see people transform right before their eyes at like retreats and events and stuff like that. And that became a lot more of my path that I wanted to continue to head towards in my pursuit of money. So I had found myself in a position where I was hosting a podcast that can go in that direction. But I'm realizing that this is going to be a long journey before I'm rich in this space because it's really hard to monetize purpose. And so I'm still really ambivalent about how to think around monetizing people of purpose. I definitely can, and I think I should in small ways, but I don't think I need to like rip people off and, and become you know, an ultra-wealthy person off this. I don't think I'm going to ever be that. Um, it's not in my nature. So then I started to look for something that is purely focused on making money. What is purely focused on making money that's entrepreneurial in nature and inclusive of the path that I want to be on, those end goals that I've already experienced the beginning tastes of, and also allows me to be like a husband and a father in a meaningful way. And I started to meet a lot of people that were in the real estate investing space that were actually contributing something with real estate that was making themselves money and making others money. So it's like a collective way of making money for everyone involved. You're solving people's issues um, and problems around their own real estate and property that's kind of holding their life back. Say they're like a hoarder that's behind on their payments with the bank that's going to lose their house and get nothing that is in emotional distress. You're able to help those people out, get them cash in like two weeks, get them into a place that they can live and get their feet back on the ground. And on the same token, you're able to like help out your investors. You're able to employ tons of people as an entrepreneur. 
you're actually building your own little community and it can be based in your value system. And that became something interesting to me. I noticed that first with teaching, that teaching is a little bit like that. You're creating a classroom where you're the leader of the environment. You're impacting everyone's future. And there's a lot of trust and focus in what you're putting forth. And your job is to draw everyone's best to make the world a better place or make that community a better place or improve the future for those families. And I really, really liked that. But I didn't see teaching as a way to make a lot of money. So I compartmentalized money and said, I need to go after something that's focused on making money. To me, that's like stocks, real estate, maybe buying and selling businesses like you were in private equities, things like that. I asked myself what I can do now. And stocks was going to be hard for me because it's a really isolated type of job. My brother has been a day trader for the last three years. And I saw how much he spent alone on his computer analyzing spreadsheets. He already had capital and to grow. I don't really have capital to grow. So I started to focus on real estate investing. And I saw that someone else can fund your deals. Somebody else can work on the deals with you and, or for you. And you can have a slice of the equity and you share it with multiple people. And it allows you to make money from not having it in the first place. And real estate investing is, to me, a life skill you have to have as a Western person. If you ever want to achieve you know, a high level of wealth or retirement in your like 30s or before that, it seems like you need to know real estate. So then I started taking classes in real estate as I was getting my master's degree. And that's kind of what I've dove into now. And now I own a few different real estate businesses in partnership with my brother and another guy named Matthew. And together we have a three-person team that has very different skill sets. And we're investing in real estate right now. And it's been a super awesome journey that I started about learning about maybe six or seven months ago. I started taking action on about three months ago and we bought our first house uh, about six weeks ago and we're working on several more right now. It's just really, really exciting. So I think part of that pursuit has been based in responsibility towards having a wife that is going to be an immigrant to the US. She's coming from a culture like I just mentioned where they don't make a lot of money. She's not a person that is driven by money. She's okay to like have enough for herself and that's fine. I can see how much she wants to give away money and like really help people in need. And I want to give her the time and freedom and to not have to, you know, work a low income, high hour job in the US. I want her to be a full-time mom, a full-time wife, and I want her to find purposeful engagements for her that don't have to be based around money. So all of those forces kind of have shifted me into being a real estate investor, business owner, that I would have never guessed I was here two years ago. But it's really exciting. I can see your face light up when you start talking about it. It's really inspiring to see a person who has thought through his ideals and aligned a goal that would coincide with those ideals and you just pursue it. It's really inspiring to see you that you don't just have aspirations. You actually set goals and you continue to make progress in them. Like we 
check in with each other every four months. And then every time we talk about like real estate, you're like, yep, I'm making progress. I'm here. I've been selected to uh, be an intern for this really successful real estate investor. And I'm like, yep, I'm now in partnership with my brother and we found another person. Yep, we found a house. And it's just great to see you like move forward. And I bet, I bet you're using some of those, you know, you were able to take a step back and to whenever, I don't know, even know if you have those moments of doubt, but you're able to sit in this comfort that you know what your goal is and just to keep going. So that's really awesome. Yeah, thank you. One thing from your letter, it's related as far as I understood from reading the letter. That's why I want to ask you, can you quickly define what naturality is to you? Yeah, so the letter that you're referring to is my blog. I think I wrote my blog as letters to myself just so people can understand that. And I think you're talking about the last one, number 17. Exactly. Talk about India. Well, typically these kind of questions, I would lean on my short-term memory to define naturality for you in my own words and sound really smart doing that. It's always in your own words because that's, I'm like, I'm getting to know the uh, Tanner. I don't want someone else's definition. Like, I, again, the question, it's all about how do you apply these concepts from the East to the West? So in this pursuit and this goal that you have, how do you, because that's really resonated, the concept of naturality and speaking to your, like from your soul and listening to who you are. How is that reflected in your choice of occupation, choice of business? Yeah. Well, normally I would, like I was saying, would lean on my short-term memory to impress somebody with, like the old me would have done that. Impress somebody with a definition that sounds really intelligent and abstract. Um, but I'm going to try to make it practical and tangible and understandable at a personal level. Naturality is kind of the hallmark of my yoga teacher, Javasu Pradeep Kumar, who has been a guest on People of Purpose. Two years after my yoga teacher training, I interviewed him. So if you want to learn more about it, people should go listen to that episode. Um, I think it's like one of the late teens, like 17, 18, 19, something like that. Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that helps you grow on your path to purpose? The People of Purpose newsletter, or POP for short, is an email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life to help you more purposefully pursue your purpose. It will include a short story, some words of wisdom to help you be more purposeful during your day, and an update on how the last guest has inspired me and how they can inspire you too. So take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com, letting us know you would like to receive the POP newsletter. Just include People of Purpose newsletter in the subject header and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. But yeah, naturality really put a lot of things into perspective. It really allowed me a place to like pivot from constantly. So I think people get caught up a lot on the medium of what they're doing. People are like, what do you do? And it's like, oh, I teach or I invest in real estate or I write books. To me, there's a, a level before that that I think naturality speaks to. It seems to people like I'm sporadic, that I'm 
you know, a teacher and a real estate investor and an online tutor. And I like, I've done a million different kinds of jobs that seem, seem very unrelated to each other. But I think before getting caught up on like what the job is or what that actual medium is that you're working in, I think naturality comes into play. And it was amazing to get conscious to that. So naturality is this concept of we have an inner nature that we need to be consistently conscious of and allow that to show itself and live itself in our lives in every circumstance and relationship and situation where we find ourselves in. And it's kind of rooted in yoga philosophy. A lot of people think yoga is those postures and poses and stretching and all that, which that's one way of doing yoga. That's asana yoga. But it's much more than that. It's the ability to carry yourself in a way where your posture is good, where your poses are good. And these postures and poses are not just physical. It's your disposition towards your life. It's your ability to forgive people. It's your ability to be self-disciplined and make promises to yourself that you keep. It's the ability to practice character and integrity. It's the ability to admit your faults and to be able to be vulnerable with those around you and humble yourself and start at that step one again and jump into something new and be okay at being one of the worst at something. So it's the posture, the stance, the pose you take towards those sort of things. So when I jump into something new like real estate investing, I don't know what I'm doing, but I do know that my nature or the naturality I need to practice is one in which I stay focused on those goals that I just mentioned 10 minutes ago and that I look at my strengths and my gifts and I know that I can lean on questions, that I can exercise curiosity, that I can connect with another person and distill kind of why they're doing what they do. And when I find alignment with a person, I ask them those hard questions like, will you go into business with me? Will you mentor me? Will you teach me? Can I add value to you right now? Can we make a partnership? These sort of things that people shy away from asking because they're uncomfortable. It's back to that resting and that discomfort. So it's kind of the tenets of yoga and meditation. Naturality is and the way in which they manifest themselves in everything you're doing in your life. And so that's more of where I'm coming from when I'm practicing naturality is how am I showing up? What's my attitude? How am I staying aligned to the focus? Like in yoga or meditation, the focus can be the breath. In teaching students, the focus can be how am I pulling out this student's innate wisdom or their zest for learning that we're all born with or their specific like strength in this group project versus how can I get this kid to stop running his mouth right now to stop being such a like a jerk to the student next to him you know whatever surface level things going on it's you've got to know that it's much deeper than that it's much more than that and you got to have faith that the way you show up towards that situation needs to come from a place of strength inside who you are. So it's the constant pursuit of self-knowing, self-evaluation, self-integrity that then imbues itself in your relationships and your work 
and pretty much any endeavor you find yourself in. Do you ever experience uh, doubt? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do almost every day. How do you deal with it? All right, I mean, this was extremely pertinent uh, yesterday. <laughs> yesterday, as I mentioned earlier, was the day that my fiance went into her appointment with the U.S. Embassy to get her fiance visa. I don't know what we were going to do if she got denied. I had just set up a business in the U.S. doing real estate investing. I'm not prepared to be locked out of America for the rest of my life. Although I would become prepared if I had to be. I'd prefer a relationship where we could be together up to 12 months of the year, if possible. And her getting that visa was really important for all of those things. So the doubt was creeping in for sure when she's inside that appointment and I'm helpless to do anything. We have prepared all the documents. I hired the attorney. I've passed all the things on my side. And there was so much doubt along that journey. We got told by so many people that it's very, very difficult for a Thai person to get a visa to America, especially right now with all that's going on in the U.S. political climate around immigration. We've already been denied twice on tourist visas because I'm her boyfriend and I guess Thai people get married or people in general get married on tourist visas and the U.S. doesn't like that. So there was a ton of doubt. I think when doubt comes is when it's a sign that we got to lean on something higher than us, that we have to humble ourselves. We can't just be the only ones that create our way forward. We've got to do things to move forward. But once we've done the things, we've got to let go and let God have his way in this world. You can't control your destiny completely. And some things are meant to happen. Everything is meant to happen the way it's happening, I think. And I think a lot of wise people think like that. So under that thought process, you can doubt that what you want to happen is going to happen, but you can't doubt that the right thing that needs to happen is going to happen. So if it was right in a lot of ways for her to get denied those tourist visas, it grew me so much as a man. It propelled me into real estate business. It allowed me to make commitments to another person that I've never been able to make before. It forced challenging, tough decisions to happen. Same thing with my health, not having my brain working at full capacity anymore, having fractures in my spine and in my neck, being completely lost after a breakup. These sort of things cause doubt that you'll ever have your complete life back, that you'll have that unity back in yourself. But I think if you believe in the promises of hope, of the things that are impressed in your heart, they'll come true. They just don't come true in your time and in your way. And so when the doubt comes in, I just kind of go into prayer and try to uh, prepare myself to be okay with whatever result comes. So yeah, doubt's hard for sure. It's unavoidable, but it's another thing that you have to kind of stop. You can't let it to move into more emotions outside of doubt. It can't become anger, bitterness. It can't become premature action. You've got to have a certain degree of faith to you know, buy a house when you've never bought a house before or say yes to a marriage when you have a feeling that it's the time. You've got to move forward in faith. And anytime you're moving forward in faith, doubt is always going to be following it. But you can't let doubt 
kill the faith. Do you think faith comes from outside of us? In this case, do you think faith came from your careful evaluation of who you are, of your ideals, principles, and core beliefs? I think if we are all able to look past all the traumas that we've all had and we find a pure version of ourselves again, which can be a life's work, we're going to find a faithful version of ourselves. So I think we naturally have it in us to exercise full and complete faith. But things that happen to us that push us down, that impress ideas upon us at young ages, trauma essentially is a loose term for it. Those things can cloud faith. So I do think we naturally have it. I think I was fortunate to grow up in a Christian household that taught me a lot about the person of Jesus. And he has always been a role model for me as someone that exercised complete faith at all times, so much so that he suffered unimaginable sufferings that have been passed down for 2,000 years now. And it's still the most widely read book. He's the most well-known person of all time. Knowing about that story when I was like four years old probably has a big impact on me. And it still is something I come back to today when I go to church, when I'm in a small group, when I'm in a conversation about my belief system. Jesus inevitably kind of comes up. So I think having that was really important growing up and continuing to come back to that. And then I think fellowship with people that are going to lift you up is really important. I think we underestimate the importance of surrounding ourselves around good people. Sometimes we feel obligated to be in certain relationships that don't really serve us anymore. And it's important to know that the best way to serve your relationships is to be in the right ones. And if something is becoming toxic for you or for others in the relationship, you've got to be bold and courageous and let go of some of those. So that's also been a part of my evolution is since the beginning of high school, I started to let go of certain relationships, ones that were based too much in maybe status or where I just felt like the people weren't doing the right thing. They were too selfish. They didn't have any sort of grounding philosophy to base their values on. There's a certain level of tolerance I have for being like haphazard around the impact you have on people. And so I think that's important too, is like constantly evaluate the important relationships in your life and continue to value those important ones and to give less energy and power to those that aren't really serving you anymore. There's a lot of doubtful, hating, skeptical people out there, and it doesn't make them more right than you necessarily. But if you know what you're after, then you owe it to yourself and those around you to kind of get out of those relationships and to lean into those that are mutually beneficial. Yeah. The relationship is what makes us all human and to experience that love to one another. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Tenor. That was very original and coming from deep within you. So I really appreciate you opening up. It's interesting that we started this conversation with the theme of suffering and your attitude towards it. And we're ending with along the side, the same theme, 
which I think is very poignant for a lot of people these days. Speaking for myself, that's something that I constantly think about. And I definitely cherish you opening up to me and sharing your deep experiences in such an open manner. So thank you, Tanner. I guess my last question would be as a suggestion to everyone who is trying to get on the similar path with the concept of not only naturality, but finding more about themselves and finding more about what their relationships are with others and how to understand whether they're toxic or not and how to become a more mindful person and look for that ever shining, but also extremely elusive purpose as purpose, which resources would you recommend? And maybe like, what would you recommend people as a first step and what actions would you recommend them take? I'd like to be that ambassador or that first point of contact for people if possible, because I think just listing some books right now wouldn't really do justice to the importance of your question. I think everything is deeply personal and you are your best teacher. And so I think the first step is to have a vulnerable, open, honest communication with somebody you trust. Hopefully that person can become me. And that person will be able to provide some feedback, but more so you'll be able to like hear yourself. And when you're writing things down or when you're speaking things out into the world, you're starting to stamp truth on where you're at in your life. And when you recognize the truth of your reality, you realize what you need. And that's where I think these recommendations and suggestions should come in is after that step. And I think my podcast, People of Purpose, is about that first step for people to initiate those first conversations with yourself and with those that matter to test what it is that you're assuming is your purpose and to honestly evaluate the level of security that you're living with and how security can really be holding you back from your potential and your purpose. So I'd like people of purpose to be kind of your foray into this stuff. That's, I hope to be the leading or, or one of the leading sources on, you know, people of purpose, people that are living purposefully that can inspire others, courses, books, in-person meetups, masterminds, retreats. This is the kind of stuff I want people of purpose to be like the Nike of. So yeah, as we're going that way though, I think I can recommend just a list of lots of things that are important to look at. I think there's some podcasts that resonate with me a lot around these topics. If you want to explore other ones, I think Jay Shetty's podcast On Purpose is really important to listen to. I think if you're business oriented, I think Tim Ferriss's, uh, The Tim Ferriss Show is really good. I think um, there's other ones like The School of Greatness is really great. Impact Theory is another podcast I like. Some books that have really influenced me are Yes Man, which was made into the Jim Carrey movie, but it's about a guy who said yes to everything for a year. And I think it will really resonate with people if there's someone that's clinging too much to the comfort zone. I think that 
a lot of our guests on People of Purpose, they may not be so well known at this point, but the way that they express themselves is pretty excellent. Greg Yates has recently become someone that I think is really meaningful on this podcast. We are about to publish the second episode with him. He's all about the practice zone, kind of that zone between comfort and discomfort and how to become your best in that area. Designing Your Life by two different Stanford professors was a really meaningful book to me that caused me to ask a lot of important questions related to career development. And then I think you just read some of the bios of the people I've interviewed would be helpful, but I think it's mostly about having those conversations. So if people feel up to it and comfortable to it, I would love to have these sort of conversations. This is part of my retirement plan is to be able to have someone like yourselves video call into me and we like really dig into the most important questions you're asking yourself and we feel like super connected in the process and then you go off and you do these really important impactful things and you grow a lot. I mean, you learn the self-expression that, you know, expresses your truth and shows your light and allows your gifts to be highlighted in the world and you leave your legacy and your mark and you are able to unconditionally love people and those sort of things. So any of those may work, hmm. but as a safe guess, messaging me would be great or listening to people of purpose. Tanner, thank you so much for offering yourself to the world and coming with an open heart. I really appreciate your time and I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much, Nikita. You're a wonderful young man. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question? Or is there something we can help you work through to figure out and reach your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Just send us an email or a message on Facebook. If you want continued inspiration, subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our insightful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. And if you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as receive daily inspiration. Follow the podcast and journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast or at People of Purpose on Facebook to join our purpose-seeking community. By joining, you will know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose news, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration. I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me to nourish your path to purpose. Lastly, if you like this podcast, please post a review wherever you listen to it. Doing so will not only help us to grow, but will also allow your voice to be heard and who knows who you could inspire. Cheers, and here's to becoming. <laughs>